go. Great, great songs, great words. Wow. And how well they go with the passage we're going to be looking at tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 8. 2 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to do chapters 8 and 9 tonight. We're not going to spend a terrible amount of time in chapter 8, and I'm just going to be very honest with you. One of the main reasons why, it's just a brutal, bloody chapter. There's just no two ways about it. In fact, a lot of Christians, they read 2 Samuel chapter 8 and are a little disturbed by it. And I I hope to to maybe give you another perspective on it, although I'm not going to try to I'm not going to try to romanticize it. I'm not going to try to clean it up. It, it is what it is. And it is pretty brutal. But let's remember, when we're going through 2 Samuel now, I want us to look at this from the lens of leadership. So we're not going to necessarily concentrate on some of the things as much as looking at the principles of leadership that we see in 2 Samuel chapter 8. And then when we get to chapter 9... I personally believe that 2 Samuel chapter 9 is David's finest hour. Most people remember David for David slaying Goliath, but I think that 2 Samuel chapter 9 and the way he dealt with Mephibosheth is David's finest hour uh, in his life. At least it's recorded in Scripture. So let's get into chapter 8 tonight. First of all, in verse 1, It tells us about David starting to defeat all the enemies and the people who occupied the land that that Israel was in. And it says here that later David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. The point I want to simply make here is that when God calls us to be leaders, he also calls us to be conquerors. He doesn't want us to live a defeated life. And yet we learn that the only way we can truly be victorious and be conquerors is through allowing God to lead us and direct us. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. You'll notice in verse 6 at the very end, the reason why David was able to conquer his enemies is because the Bible says the Lord protected David wherever he campaigned. The word protected in my translation means to save, to deliver, to give victory to. And this phrase is repeated again down in verse 14 at the very end when it says the very same thing. The Lord protected David wherever he campaigned. So make no mistake about it. David was victorious. He was a conqueror. But he was doing it through the Lord. He was doing it because the Lord was with him as he went second thing I want you to notice back then in verse 1 is this. When it talks about David defeating the Philistines and subduing them and then taking Metheg Amma from the Philistines, which is another name for Gath, the, the city that Goliath came from, the capital city of the Philistines, I think this is important as well. These words subdue and took talk about bringing something into subjection, to curb, to control, to bridle, to harness. And it's the idea that in leadership, and as we even grow as Christians, we need to remember, is there something in my life that I need to get control of or allow God to control? Is there something in my life that I need to bridle or harness? Is there somebody on my team, somebody that I work with that I need to bridle or harness? A great illustration of this would be water. 
Water can be very destructive if it's not kept within its borders and boundaries. But when water is harnessed, when it is bridled, it can obviously be a powerful source. A horse, you know, can do a lot of damage if it's wild. But when a horse is harnessed or bridled, then obviously there's good stuff that comes out of that. And God wants us as leaders as his people to learn that through him, there needs to be things in our life that are brought in a sense into subjection, that are brought under his control, that are bridled or harnessed. And again, same thing true. If we are leaders and we're leading a group of people, then we need to make sure that our team and our groups of people and the people underneath our authority, that they're harnessed and bridled in the right way. That we're all part of the same team, we're focusing our energy rather than working against one another. Then you'll notice, again, some brutal things that David did. Killed two-thirds, only spared a third. Some people go, wow, man, made him lie down and just sort of slaughtered him. But let's remember something. The fact that David allowed any of them to live was unprecedented in that day. You, if you overcame an enemy, you wiped them all out. The fact that he allowed any of them to live at all. Because then you've got the idea that once you allow them to live, then you've got to sort of keep them in subjection so that they don't rise up against you the rest of your reign as a king. The other thing I want to point out is this. David, in a sense, was still mopping up something that God told Joshua and the people of Israel to do way back in the book of Joshua. All these people that David are still dealing with should have been done away with a long time ago. But they weren't completely wiped out, and so they were still causing problems. It sort of, again, is a reminder of us in leadership. We can choose to deal with something and deal with it completely back here, or we can let it go and then keep dealing with it down here. And what David was dealing with down here was because it wasn't dealt with back here, when it should have been dealt with, like it should. It's just like, and that's why when people come to me with the question, why did God like even command at times in the Old Testament for his people to totally wipe out this, this enemy? Not even let anybody live. Why did he do that? And, and the greatest illustration that I can come up with so that I wrap my mind around it is how we would deal with cancer. Because that's the way God looked at this. That we would, if we knew that we had cancer... Okay, some malignant tumor. We wouldn't go to the doctor and say, okay, doctor, take out 75%, but leave the other 25 there. I'm going to take my chances. None of us would do that. Man, our first thing is you get it and you get it all. Because I don't want that coming back. I don't want that causing me any further trouble. And, And we all have to remember that these enemies, if you will, God had given them hundreds of years to repent. And they were so ungodly that they would sacrifice their own children to false gods and and the heinous things that they did. And God finally said, enough is enough. I'm done. Because you are a cancer that is only going to continue to spread your disease as from generation to generation. 
And so that's part of what was happening here. As far as leadership goes, I I want you to notice this in verse 3. After David defeated King Hadazezer, son of Rahab of Zobah, he came to reestablish his authority over the Euphrates River. The word reestablish, to restore, to refresh, to repair, to be brought back. And the point I want to make about leadership is this. Not only are there things that we need to harness and bridle in our lives, but sometimes as leaders, there's things in our lives that we need to go back and we need to restore, we need to reestablish, because whether it was conscious or unconscious, whether it was intentional or unintentional, There's maybe an area of our life in disrepair. There's an area of our life that we've been neglecting. And it's always important as leaders and as the people of God that we go back and continually evaluate, is there something in a sense in the infrastructure of my life or my leadership and and what my leadership touches that needs attention? And that is a continual thing. We can never just put it on cruise control and go, okay, I dealt with that. Now, you know, it's good to go. There's always going to be things that we need to go back to and go, you know what? I haven't, I haven't taken time for that. And I need to take some time for that. That's what David was doing here. He was repairing some things. He was restoring some things. He was bringing some things back and reestablishing some things that were very important to reestablish. Sort of like our country with the infrastructure of, say, even the transportation system. You and I have heard about that for the last, really, 10, 15, 20 years, this generation, that, you know, all the roads and bridges and everything that was built, say, in the 40s and 50s, we pretty much left it go as a nation and not went back and really taken time to go back after these were all built and properly repair and restore and and reestablish these things. And they're all starting to go at the same time. It's a great illustration for us. If we're going to lead and we're going to be the people of God that God wants us to, there's going to be those times where God is going to lead us to say, hey, Jeff, there's an area here that needs some attention. Go back and spend a little bit more time in that area now because that's been wanting for a while. And that's exactly what David did. You also notice over here then in verse 11, Because, you know, it's just telling us all the different enemies that David had conquered. It said, King David then dedicated these things, these spoils of war to the Lord, along with the dedicated silver and gold that he had taken from all the nations he had subdued. And a couple things I want to point out here, that everything that David gained from his victory went back to God. That's what spiritual leaders do. If God blesses us or gives us anything, we have to first recognize this isn't mine This is the Lord's. And he dedicated it back to the Lord. And the second thing I want to point out is notice from last week, David threw his energy behind God's plan. And God's plan was not for David to build him a temple, but for David's son Solomon to build him a temple. So he was at least throwing his energy behind God's plan because he was doing what he could do before the temple was built, which was to make sure that his son Solomon had all the materials that he needed. So throughout these conquering victories, David was stockpiling the materials that Solomon would need to build the temple. Therefore, the leadership principle is he had a long-term view not he wasn't short-sighted he wasn't just looking at the things that was going on in his life as to how it was going to affect him but how it was going to affect long term when he was gone his children his grandchildren the nation 100 200 years from now 
And that's what leaders do. Certainly we focus on what God wants us to focus on now, but we should never take our eyes off the long term of what are the ramifications and consequences, what are the precedents that I'm setting now, and how is that going to affect us down the road? I haven't always done this well even here at the Oasis. But one of the things God keeps me conscious of, even as the pastor, is Jeff, be careful that you're not making a decision now that's going to set a bad precedent six months from now. Don't, don't, don't make a decision now out of expediency that might blow up down the road. Keep the long-term view. Don't get so short-sighted. And that's exactly what we see David doing here. Then notice this, verse 13. David became famous when he returned from defeating the Armenians in the Valley of Salt. Defeating 18,000 and all. The word famous means a conspicuous position. And it goes back to the reason why God calls us to be leaders. Not because he wants us to be in a conspicuous position to draw attention to ourselves. But so that we can be in a conspicuous position to draw attention to him. It goes back to what we've said before. It's the whole principle of Jesus. Let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bushel. A city that is set on a hill. God wants us to be lights. He wants us to shine. He wants us to be the salt of the earth. One of the reasons he calls us to get out there and be called out and and to be leaders and to step up is because he wants us to put us in positions where we will be conspicuous so that in a sense, he will be conspicuous. So that people can see God through us. And we're going to definitely see that in verse or in chapter nine. But notice also, In verse 14, David placed garrisons or watchtowers throughout Edom and all the Edomites became David's subjects. And another leadership principle here is no matter what I have subdued and sort of harnessed and bridled, I always as a leader need to be vigilant. I always need to be watchful. I cannot become complacent. I can't fall asleep at my post because life is not static. My leadership is not going to be static. The people around me are not going to be static. And therefore, I always have to be vigilant and watchful about what's going on. And I can't get so focused on one thing that I'm neglecting what is actually going around. Again, maybe the bigger picture. And that's exactly what David was doing by setting up the watchtowers. Yes, he had conquered all these enemies. They were subdued for now, but it wasn't like David was saying, okay, they're conquered now, they're done. I'm good. I'm just going to sit back and relax. No, we're going to put watchtowers up and we're going to watch and we're going to be vigilant. Jesus, throughout the whole Gospels, talks to his people about watching and praying and being alert and being vigilant. And Paul and Peter and other New Testament writers tell us the same thing. Be alert. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour. All of us need to have that watchtower, if you will, mentality in our lives. And then finally, in verse 15, notice, David reigned over all Israel. Literally, it means he became the king. He was who God called him to be. He was being who God wanted him to be. And my encouragement to you tonight, God may not want you to be the king of Israel, but God wants you to be who he created you to be. Step up and begin to be who God calls you to be and who he wants you to be. Don't don't shrink back from what God wants you to do. It may be intimidating. It may be daunting. It may be, uh, you know, a little scary. I get that. 
But God wants to stretch our faith. He wants to grow our faith. He wants to grow us. He wants to show us that we can do way more than we ever imagined we could do with Him. And going back to that very familiar story about Peter walking on the water. Jesus said, come on, Peter. And God may be saying to someone here tonight, come on. Start being who I've called you to be, who I created you to be. That's exactly what David was doing. There's no sweeter spot in life than to know you are in the place where God wants you and you're doing what God wants you to do and what he created you to do. And then notice, he guaranteed justice for all his people. Next important leadership principle here, if you and I as leaders are going to create a value, if we're going to say to our people and to the people, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're about, then we need to continually work at that. Again, you can't, you can't set something up as a leader and say, this is who we are, this is what we're about, and then expect it just to sort of go on automatic pilot and that everybody's going to get it. Because again, you're always going to have new people coming. Life is not static. The church is not static. People's lives are not static. So everything is never going to stay the same. So even as a church, if I'm going to say, hey, this is our value, we've always got to work at that. We can't, we can't take our eyes, if you will, off of the goal and off of the values that we have. We're going to continually have to work at what we value and what our priorities are. And that's exactly what David was doing. And then finally in chapter 8, it basically lists verse 16, 17, 18, David's cabinet. And the point I want to simply make there is one of the important principles of leadership is making sure that the people that you get around you are the right people. That they're the proper influences. That they're supporting you. They're sharing your vision. They're on your, they're on your team. I'll share with you right now. We have a couple situations in our church where there are a couple folks at the Oasis who are allowing people that should not influence them to influence them. And they're not in a good place because of it. And one of the things we know is that it's very important that we get the right people on our team. That's one of the most important things we do as leaders is, in a sense, choose who, who are we going to allow to be close to us and have that influence and them have our ear and us have their ear and we're going to do this together. And that's what you see illustrated here in the last three verses of chapter 8. So a lot of great leadership principles even in that brutal, bloody chapter. But then we come to chapter 9. A story about a young man named Mephibosheth. And before we get into chapter 9, just turn back real quick. I just want to give you that little background that we got several weeks ago now. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 4, let's remember how this all came about. What, what happened to Mephibosheth? The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, that Saul's son Jonathan had a son who was crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan arrived from Jezreel. And that news was Saul and Jonathan were dead. And in those days, 
when someone else takes over the throne, when someone else takes over that dynasty, everyone else in the former dynasty is killed, usually, so that there's no rival left. So obviously, in this case, when this young man, who was only five, and it says his nurse picked him up and fled, she was fleeing with this five-year-old for good reason. Because in her mind, Mephibosheth's going to die because Saul and Jonathan are dead, and they're going to come looking for him. But in her haste, notice, to get away, he fell and was injured, literally became lame. Mephibosheth was his name. So he wasn't born crippled. He became crippled because in his nurse's haste to get away, thinking she needed to get out of there quickly to save his life, she drops him. And let's remember in those days, even if it was two broken ankles, there was no way they could set those ankles like they do today. It could have just been two broken ankles that were never set properly and the the young man could never walk properly again. So when you come to 2 Samuel chapter 9, he's probably about 20 to 25 years old at this point. And I wanted to share that with you so that we all have the background of what's going to happen here in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Before we get into this, I want to say this. Leadership can change us. Over the years, I have seen Christians get into positions of leadership and become something different than they were before. I've seen it at the Oasis. I've seen it at every church that I've ever served in. Leadership can be a great thing, and it's something that God wants us to, He wants us to be leaders, but sometimes when people get into a certain role or position, it changes them. Not for the better, but for the worse. And I wrote down here in my Bible to remind me, leadership can change us or it can simply provide a greater platform to be who we have always been. And that was David. We're going to see that. As of yet, becoming king hasn't changed who David is. David is just being in chapter 9 who he's always been. A kind and good man looking out for others, just like he looked out for those sheep that he watched many years for his father in obscurity. So notice here, in verse 1, David asked, Is anyone still left from the family of Saul so that I may extend kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan? You're going to see this over and over again, for the sake of Jonathan. Again, going back to, that's who David was. David promised Jonathan, hey, you and I are in this for the long haul, and that means anyone connected with you, I'm in this with you for the long haul. So David didn't change who he was back then when he became king. He was still thinking about that, still thinking about his friendship with Jonathan, still thinking about it. And the other point I want to make as far as leadership is how intentional David was. You and I have to realize that sometimes God isn't just going to create things and make things happen and always bring them to us, sometimes we've got to be intentional or it's not going to happen. 
It wasn't just like someone else was going to think of helping Mephibosheth. David was thinking intentionally. Is there anyone left from the family of Saul? And again, remember, this was, this was odd. This was unprecedented. In those days, there would have been no one normally left from a former dynasty. That's just not the way it happened. And he had lost touch with Jonathan's family. And I love the fact that he says, I want to extend kindness to him. Goodness. Faithfulness. And this word is a word that's used in the Old Testament for covenant loyalty. It's like David is saying, look, I made a promise to Jonathan and because of Jonathan and I's relationship, I want to be good and I want to be kind to whoever's connected with Jonathan. As we go down through here, I not only want you to see the beautiful then relationship that God is bringing about between David and Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. I want you to see Mephibosheth as a representative of us in this passage. And I want you to see David as sort of a type of Christ. And compare what David did for Mephibosheth is exactly the grace that is extended from God to each one of us. So the Bible says there was a servant from Saul's house named Ziba. He was summoned to David. And I'm sure he was petrified because he probably thought, oh man, David wants to talk to me. We're cooked. Because they were part of Saul's household, if you will. And again, it wasn't sure how David was going to treat any of the household of Saul. So the king asked, are you Ziba? He replied, at your service. Like, don't kill me. (laughs) The king asked, is there not someone left from Saul's family that I may extend? Now notice, God's kindness to him. That's huge. Because in that statement, what David is saying and acknowledging is God has been so good and kind and faithful to me. The least that I should do is be kind and good and faithful to somebody else. Notice here, unlike a lot of leaders or people who get in leadership positions, that spiritual leadership is different. Leadership in the world is I get to a leadership position and then I start figuring out how everyone can do something for me. I start figuring out how I can leverage all these other relationships to make it easier on me. I want people to serve me. I want to tell everybody else what to do. I want to, I want to control everything. No, David looked at the leadership position he had as how can I help someone else? How can I be good and kind and faithful? So again, instead of it changing him, it was just giving him a greater platform to be who he wanted to be, who he was created to be, who God wanted him to be. Notice Ziba said to the king, one of Jonathan's sons is left. Both of his feet are crippled. Notice something interesting. Even this servant of Saul who's worked, looked after Mephibosheth for many years now, doesn't even call Mephibosheth by name. Notice to Ziba, Mephibosheth is defined by the fact that he's crippled. All he can see when he looks at Mephibosheth is a crippled young man. You'll notice in this passage that David never mentions the fact that Mephibosheth is crippled. When David looks at Mephibosheth, he doesn't see that he's crippled. 
He doesn't define Mephibosheth by his lameness and the fact that he can't walk. But Ziba does. The king asked him, where is he? Verse 4, Ziba told the king, he's at the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. I'm just going to tell you this, it, that was way out there. It was past Gold Canyon. Literally, the word means obscurity. Mephibosheth was living in obscurity for a couple reasons. One, he was the son of Jonathan. David was now the king. But he would probably more so live in obscurity because he was a crippled young man that probably couldn't do much for himself. And he was living in shame and living in obscurity. And David didn't care how far away Mephibosheth lived, how obscure it was. Because I'm sure David remembered, I was also in obscurity. I was watching sheep. My own family didn't even think about me when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel. Nobody even realized I was there, but God knew I was there. Because with God, there's no one who lives in obscurity. And so the Bible says in verse 5, King David had him brought from the house of Machir and Lodabar. By the way, the words brought means that David made a way for him and provided the means for him to come. It wasn't like David said, okay, you cripple, you get here on your crutches whenever you get here. I'll be waiting. No. He extended himself. He stretched himself out. He said, look, I not only want you here, but I'm going to provide the means and I'm going to make a way for you to get here. That's leadership. That's leadership. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down low with his face toward the ground. David said, Mephibosheth. That might not mean a lot to us. But we've got to put ourselves in the place of that crippled young man who was living in shame and obscurity. Think about what went through his head and his heart when the king of Israel knew his name and called him by name. And he replied, yes, at your service. And David said to him, stop being afraid. This young man had probably been filled with fear for a long time. And David says, I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. And then notice, I'll give back to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. The words give back mean to lift up, to bring back. That's what real spiritual leaders do. They lift up others around them. As we're going to see here, leadership spiritually is given to us so that we can impact other people's lives and help them to see themselves in a different way than they've ever seen themselves before. That's what David was doing here. 
That's the privilege of spiritual leadership. That's the privilege of being the people of God. That God gives us the privilege and the responsibility of getting involved with people, whether it be short-term or long-term, and help lift them up and help them to see themselves differently than they've ever seen themselves before. Because notice here, he goes on to say, you will be a regular guest at my table, verse 7. Not any table. The king's table. The same table I sit at every day. You're not only going to eat with me, you're going to fellowship with me. And it's going to be continuous to the day that I die or you die. You will be at my table. That's a commitment. Now again, God's not going to call us at times in our life to such a long-term commitment. Sometimes it's just we're involved with people for a very short term. But I do want to point out, when David said, you'll be a regular guest, he had to count the cost of that. Because he was taking on the responsibility of basically caring for this crippled young boy for the rest of his life. And saying, we're going to provide that you are going to sit at my table regularly. Then Mephibosheth bowed and said, Of what importance am I? Your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog like me. The words dead dog in the Hebrew really mean of no worth or value. In fact, the Hebrews use this term to speak of a piece of garbage. Mephibosheth says, David, you're the king. Why are you doing this for me? I'm just a piece of garbage. Note something. David doesn't sit there and argue with him that he's not a piece of garbage. David does what an insightful spiritual leader does. And that is, simply says, I'm going to invite you to my table regularly. And as you come regularly to my king's table, you're going to start to see yourself differently. I'm not going to try to convince you now to see yourself differently. But as you, as I allow you into my life and as I allow access into my life, you're going to start to see yourself differently just because we're spending time together. Again, that's what God calls us to. To not have the positions and the roles and the leadership and all of that for our sake, but so we can use it to help others see themselves in a different way than they ever saw themselves before. And that's what David here was doing with Mephibosheth. And the king summoned Ziba and basically told him, here's how it's going to be. You're going to take care of Mephibosheth. I'll take care of you and your children and your servants. This is how it's going to work. Verse 11, Ziba said to the king, your servant will do everything that my lord the king has instructed his servant to do. So Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table. By the way, the Hebrew word for the king's table here in this passage is the same word that's used in Psalm 23 when David wrote, the Lord prepares a table before me. It's the king's table. 
We have to realize the privilege we have as God's children that God invites us to His table every day to sit with Him, to be in His presence and to be fed and nourished at the King's table. Are we taking advantage of being at the King's table every day? And the Bible goes on to say, He was a regular guest at David's table, just as though he were one of the king's sons. We sang a lot about grace tonight. Grace covers. This is such a beautiful picture. Because every day that Mephibosheth would come to the king's table... Let's remember how they ate back then. They didn't eat like we eat today. They reclined. They usually leaned on one elbow or another elbow. And so every time that Mephibosheth reclined at the king's table, his disability would be unnoticed. He was just like any other guest. And they would cover their feet and their legs while they ate. And it's a beautiful picture of the fact that grace covers. Nobody was noticing when he sat at the king's table that he was crippled. And let's remember, everything that David was doing here wasn't because Mephibosheth deserved it. David did it because he wanted to. God is the same way. He invites us to his king's table every day to be a regular guest, not because we deserve to be there, but because his grace and his grace covers us there. Because Mephibosheth, at some point, at being a regular guest at David's table, started to see himself differently, notice how life changed for him. Because this dead dog, this piece of garbage, evidently found a young lady. Whether it was at the king's table or not, we don't know. But the Bible says Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. By the way, that name means who is like God. That's an appropriate name. Mephibosheth was living in obscurity. He was crippled. He couldn't help himself. He wasn't searching for David, but David was searching for him. Because David wanted to bring him to his table beautiful picture of how God deals with us. And the Bible says Mephibosheth was living in Jerusalem for he was a regular guest at the king's table. But notice the end, both his feet were still crippled. God didn't give David the ability or anybody else to heal Mephibosheth. As far as we know, Mephibosheth stayed crippled the rest of his life. But here's the important point. 
Mephibosheth's circumstances didn't change. But he was changed. Because of David's involvement in Mephibosheth's life, he never saw himself the same ever again. He saw himself differently. And I believe it was because he started to see himself differently that maybe he started to walk with a little bit more confidence. Not in a literal way, obviously, but just carried himself differently. Maybe that's what brought him to this young woman and eventually they got married and had this young child. What a beautiful picture of leadership. That when God gives us the privilege of serving Him, it's to lift up others. It's to help them to see themselves in a different way. Maybe... Tonight, God is laying someone on your heart. Maybe not. Because it's all in God's timing. But I guarantee you, somewhere down the road, the Spirit of God is going to prompt you, just like He prompts me, to extend myself and stretch myself into someone's life. Sometimes for a short amount of time, Sometimes it's very clear that God wants me to be in this for the long haul. For the rest of my life. But the timing isn't as critical as knowing that every day I have the privilege of being in these people's lives or them allowing me in their life. God wants me to lift them up. God wants me to extend His kindness to them. God wants me to impact their life in such a way that they will never see themselves the same ever again. Because that's God's ministry to us. When God came into our lives, He didn't just come into our lives to save us and bring us into a relationship with Him and forgive us of our sins and send us on our way to heaven. He came into our lives to lift us up, to extend kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, and to help us to see ourselves in a way we would never see ourselves before. To see ourselves through His eyes. To see the potential that He's placed within. To see the Spirit and the gifts and all of that. That's why He stretched out. That's why He extended Himself from the glories of heaven to earth. Because he was the example for David and for all of us. 
of what grace is all about. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us such important reminders in our life. Because God, very honestly, we live in a world where leadership is not what we see here. Many leaders today, whether they be spiritual church leaders or not, it ends up being all about them. It ends up being about what others can do for them. and It ends up being how this can work for them. But as you modeled for us, when you came to this earth, you didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. And David is just simply following your example. That when you placed him in that position, you wanted him to live to lift others up. You wanted him to live to extend your kindness to those he came in contact with. To those like Mephibosheth that would never be able to repay, never, never be able to give back to David anything. Because it's not about we give so that we get back. It's grace. It's about helping others see themselves in a whole different way. So God, I pray that you will continue to raise up leaders at the Oasis Church. And help us to be a church that models what biblical Christ-like leadership is all about. Help us to be a church filled with Davids who reach out and extend themselves to the Mephibosheths around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, see you Sunday. Thanks for being here.